all of my kids, all of my kids were born in Kentucky, all of them, all three of them. And uh, that has meant that for the entire time that we've been in Kentucky, we've had to make the trip to Williamsburg, Virginia, where my in-laws live. Now, this nine and a half hour drive with kids becomes 13 hours, okay? Think of what that means for Texas, 13 hours, okay? And so one day in the summer, a really hot day like today, we were going to the beach and we were going to visit grandma and grandpa and John and Jill were the only kids we had and they were little and we got to this point on the West Virginia Turnpike and a semi-tractor trailer had overturned and had clogged the interstate both directions. Being the savvy navigator that I am, I saw an exit and I say to Jen, we're going to get off and leave all these people in the dust. <laughs> so we get on this windy road and I'm, I'm pushing it going 35 miles an hour. And after about five or six miles of this, the kids are crabby and eh, Jenny grabs me by the forearm and says, you are making me nauseous. And I knew in that moment, oh, I need to go back to the interstate. So I found a way to turn around and another five miles back, well, there's a long, long line of cars and they're bumper to bumper. And every, I get to the end and I've got my blinker on and person after person will not even look me in the eye. I'm like, oh no, you got off, buddy. Natural consequences, baby. Uh-uh, ain't happening. And finally, there was this other dad in this other minivan. And he goes, he made eye contact and he points. And I'm like, kindness. Isn't kindness wonderful? Isn't kindness, when you're on the receiving end of it, like you'll get religion right then and there. Thank you, baby Jesus. Like kindness does that. Kindness does that. When Jenny was pregnant with John Mark, we got to the doctor's office because she was having pains. And the doctor said, no, that's labor and you need to go to the hospital. And so I get her back in the car and we go the rest of the way to the hospital and I pull up to the front part. This is before Central Baptist had all the additions. So I'm in the main driveway. I put on my hazards. I come around, I get her out and she goes, I'm having this baby now. So she kind of collapses on the hood of the car and becomes an immovable object. And I'm, I am kind of beside myself at this point because I, on, on uh, US 27 inside of Lexington, I was going about 80. <laughs> okay, so I was breaking many, many laws to get to the point where we were. A hospital, a hospital administrator from her office window saw Jenny you know, collapse on the hood of the car, came out, had two people with her. Let's go, people. Got her into a wheelchair, commandeered an elevator. John Mark was born 15 minutes later. <laughs> had that lady, right, said, well, <laughs> I do paper. <laughs> I do paperwork. Those poor, that poor young couple, how awful for them. Like John would have been born on the asphalt or on the hood of, or on the hood of the Saturn, either one, like, right? And so kindness, 
Kindness is amazing. Now, because I've been on the receiving end of kindness time and time again, I can tell you that kindness is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. Kindness is not this kind of thing thumping in your chest. Oh, I've got all the feels. I just feel the kindness, right? That's not kindness. Um, Kindness is action. Kindness is action. Um, In G-Town and on Energen Sundays, we define kindness as showing others they're valuable by how you treat them. It's an action, okay? Now, this is how this plays out. Suppose I came to church with two donuts. And suppose, Bill, when you came in for setup this morning, you had kind of had a rough night, you had overslept, and you hadn't had any breakfast at all. And I've got two donuts and, and you have none. And I'm, mm, oh, Bill, that's terrible. You didn't sleep well last night? Oh, man, that's horrible. And you didn't even have, mm, you didn't even have breakfast? And I don't give you any donuts. Have I showed you kindness? No, I, no, no, I want a more emphatic no, brother. No, no, it doesn't matter how much empathy and compassion I have in my heart. If I ate both donuts and didn't give Bill anything, that is not kindness. Now, kindness is a fruit of the spirit. And if they'll put up Galatians 5.22, Galatians says, Paul says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what Paul is saying is if Jesus is leading and you're following, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, then the evidence of that, the outpouring of that is these, are these qualities which can be called the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, okay? And, and they're reflecting part of God's character to the world. When you have that in you, you're reflecting who God is to the world around you. Um, now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but none of these things that are listed here are things that you can do all by yourself on a desert island. Have you picked up on that? So if you're all by yourself on a desert island, can you really love? Can you really be kind? Can you? No, all of these qualities of God can only be fully expressed in relationship. In relationship. So what does kindness look like? And do we have to be kind to everyone? And isn't it true that some folks are just not worthy of kindness? Isn't it true that some folks, in a sense, have it coming to them? Right? Well, Jesus has some things to say about kindness, and it's in uh, Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the entire passage, and then we're going to We're going to look at it. And Jesus is very clear. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. 
When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, and then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I come. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go do the same. So, if we can go back to the, uh, if we can put up the Luke 10 verses, what is it, 20, uh, 25 and following, boom. So, uh, the man asks this question, and he wants to know what his eternal inheritance is, right? And that comes from Psalm 36 and Daniel 2. In other words, what must I do to share in the resurrection of the righteous? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And that's the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord God fully and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you will live. And so the question is, um, um, so what is the scope of this love of neighbor? In the book of Sirach, there, uh, Jews are told, you don't have to help sinners. They're given an explicit clause. So there's a class of people called sinners. I don't, if you read the Gospels, you'll come across them because Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. So it's a group of people who are not following God. They're not doing the things that you should do. They're not living righteously, and they're sinners. And in the book of Sirach, the rabbis say you do not have to help sinners. In other words, this, there's this thinking that whatever ill comes their way, they have it coming because they're sinners. Um, you don't associate with them. They, they deserve it. And so the guy asking Jesus this question is clearly operating from a perspective that some people are my neighbors and some people are not. Some people are. And let's be honest, everybody does this. Every society in human history has had a group of people that are more valuable than another group of people. The Romans did it. The Jews did it. Americans have done it. We all do that where we say, these are the good people and these are the bad people. And if bad things happen to the bad people, serves them right because they're bad people. And so the question is, who is my neighbor, right? And so Jesus tells this story about the Good Samaritan. And we have laws based on this story. They're Good Samaritan laws, right? So a man travels this 17-mile 17 17 stretch between Jerusalem and Jericho, and he's robbed, beaten, stripped, and left for dead by the side of the road. Three people pass him, a priest, if you were hearing this story from Jesus' lips, as soon as Jesus says a priest is walking by, you're going to assume, oh, the guy's in luck. 
A priest is walking by. It's his lucky day. He's going to get help. But no, the priest passes by the man in the road. The second one, the Levite. Again, anyone hearing Jesus' story as it's coming out of his lips would think, oh, well, okay, this guy, it's the Levite that's going to do it. Nope, passes on by. The third guy is a Samaritan. Now, remember the good people and bad people thing? Samaritans were the bad people. They did not follow God the way God should be followed. And they did things the wrong way. And they only looked out for themselves, selfish people. If there was anybody that was going to pass by the man in the road, it was going to be the Samaritan, who's a bad guy. And in Jesus' telling of this story, anyone hearing it is shocked as soon as Jesus says, and the Samaritan went over and bandaged him and is pouring oil on the wounds and takes him to an end. Okay? So the question, of course, is which one of these three is the neighbor? Do you notice in the story, and if we'll put up those last few verses of Luke, you may have to fast forward a bit. In the last, um, at, at the end of the uh, story, when Jesus is talking to the man, Jesus asked the question, which one of the three was a neighbor? The man says in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. Did you notice he can't even say the Samaritan, right? Bad people don't do good things. End of discussion, period. He can't even say Samaritan. And so Jesus says, go and do the same. Doing it, living it out really resonates with Jesus. Just two chapters earlier than this, they tell him he's teaching a large crowd. They tell him his family's here. And Jesus says, oh, let me tell you about my family, my real family. My family are the people who not just hear God's word, but do it, right? Jesus is all about doing the word. And it comes up time and time and time again from him. So I've often wondered about the three men who pass by. I, I've often wondered, did all three of them have the, the feels. Did all three of them, when they saw the man, think to themselves, oh man, that's terrible. Look at that guy. Clearly he was overtaken by bandits. Man, that's just awful. But of course, only one of them did something about it. Only one of them did something about it. So let me ask a question. And I've got a question up here and maybe they'll find it. The question is, who in your life who in your life is bleeding right now by the side of the road? Who in your life right now is bleeding by the side of the road? What's one thing, just one thing that you could do today for that person? So how do you, how do we take this home? I think this parable doesn't need lots of explanation. I think Jesus is pretty clear. Uh, but I want to kind of unpack how we take this home. And I've got four, four take-homes from this. And the first is really simple. It's not enough to feel it in your heart. Kindness is only kindness if you do something about it. Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he says this, the early Christians were renowned within the Roman Empire for their support of the poor and suffering. The Christians, unlike their pagan neighbors, readily ransomed their friends from barbarian captors. And when plague hit, Christians tended 
their sufferers, whereas the pagans abandoned the sick at the first symptoms. For the first few centuries, at least, the church took literally Jesus Christ's command to receive strangers, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and visit those in prison. In Matthew 25, Jesus contrasts two groups of people, sheep and goats. And the difference between the sheep and the goats are what they did. It's what they did, right? I often wonder, I, and I, one of the questions I have for Jesus is, in the telling of that parable in your mind, was it the case and is it the case that both of them had the feels? that both of them were, would have been motivated to do the right thing, but only one group did, did what was required in a sense. I've always wondered that. So I want to say to you, uh, and I, I can't teach on this passage without uh, alluding to something that's going on in our culture. And I hate politics and I hate it from the pulpit. But like, so uh, it's now the case in the United States that it's actually a federal crime to render aid to people who are here illegally. And you can have all kinds of opinions about what we should and shouldn't do with people entering the country illegally. Maybe we should build a wall. Maybe we should do all kinds of things. And, and debate it, vote it, and support it. It's okay. But when it comes to the people who, for whatever reason, make it here, um, we should render aid when aid is required. So... Um, there's a city manager from a town in Texas. She was driving down the highway. Three people flag her down. One of them is a young lady who's a young adult who was severely dehydrated and was having a little bit of heat stroke. And she called 911, and she's facing federal charges for that. Uh, there's another group of people that are leaving water in a larger stretch of desert because they don't want people to die of dehydration they're also facing federal charges for rendering aid, harboring illegal aliens. Now, I just want to say to you that it could be the case for us, we don't live in Texas or Arizona, we're in Kentucky, so we don't have to sweat that problem. But some of our brothers and sisters there are, and it's a struggle for them, right? How do I live out being a good Samaritan and loving my neighbor and not necessarily having this way of thinking where there's good people and bad people, and bad people have what's coming to them, in a sense. Um, and so I just wanted to unpack that a little bit for you. So it's not enough to feel it in your heart. you got to do something about it. And the second thing is, you don't get to decide who's worthy of your kindness. Worthiness isn't the issue. It's not the issue. It doesn't matter how worthy they are. We, we have a tendency to adopt a mindset where we think to ourselves, serves them right, they had it coming, and they're just getting the just desserts. Um, and then we also have this temptation where we, we extend kindness to the people who are like us, who dress like us, vote like us, think like us, have our values. And the people who aren't like us, well, they don't warrant or deserve kindness. And Jesus makes no such distinctions. He doesn't say, well, these kinds of neighbors... He just says, neighbor. And I'm, I've got to confess, right? So if, if, if confession's good for the soul, there are two groups of people that I, sh I have a struggle bus showing kindness to. Old people and rich people, right? So in, in our culture, and I have a stick in my crawl about how old people have kind of squandered some things in the kingdom and the church in America, and I can be judgmental about that in ways that are not good and not healthy and that Jesus would kick me in the butt for, right? And he does, and then there's the other group of people where I feel like uh, a certain 
group of people made out like bandits and everyone else seems like they're struggling and it kind of, it's a stick in my craw and I'm judgmental and I don't want to show compassion or kindness to them and I talk bad about them and, you know, again, Jesus gives me the kick in the butt for that. So I, you know, if I'm going to preach on this, I need to be honest and transparent in the sense of I struggle with showing kindness to everyone, but Jesus wants me to be kind and show kindness to my neighbor, period. So you don't get to choose who's worthy and who isn't. And number three, show kindness to your family. Show kindness to your family. Kindness should start at home. So spouses, when you're feeling that barky, barky, right? (laughs) Remember that your wife, your husband is also your neighbor. Some of you are like, mind blown. (laughs) I just had my mind blown in church. (laughs) Yes, your, your husband or your wife is your neighbor. It's even more radical than that. If you've got younger brothers or sisters, (gasps) they're your neighbor, right? (laughs) Younger siblings are your neighbor, okay? So take take kindness home with you. And then lastly, acts of kindness may seem small and unimportant to you, but to the person receiving them, it could be a turning point. My freshman year of high school, my dad lost his job. I had gone to band camp. And we were going to have our first football game of the season. And four days later, we were going to get in a truck, and we did, and move to Las Vegas, Nevada. And I had been waiting to get into this marching band for two years. And I was so excited. And when my dad told me we were moving, I was just crushed. And I remember talking to the band director about it, like, I'm going to Las Vegas. I don't want to go to Las Vegas. Like... And we had two uniforms that we did. The summer uniform was just ugly. It was the tidy, tidy shorts with the socks that went up to your knee and red Converse tennis shoes. And I'm going to tell you right now, in the 1980s, nobody wore Converse tennis shoes, okay? And the, and the ring T-shirt. And we would wear, the, the high school marching band would typically wear that until sometime in September, And then when it got cool enough, they'd wear the full marching gear, which which are these beautiful uniforms. Well, that first game, that first game, Mr. Fisk's announce, he announces, hey, everyone, just want to let you know, tonight we're in full uniform. And when he did that, he looked at me and he smiled. And in that moment, right, he saw me. He was saying to me, you matter. And he was saying, we'll miss you. And I'm 50 and I still get choked up about it. And it was a small thing. Wear your full uniforms this marching night. I'm telling you. An acts of kindness may seem small to you, but to the person receiving them, it could be a turning point. So go and do the same. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. 